0: Mike's video game podcast. I miss you, Mike. Hello and welcome to Mike's video game podcast. I'm Mike Agg, and I'm Mike Wu, and this is episode eight, or as we like to call it, our listener appreciation episode. This is our our new annual listener appreciation <laughs> episode. So yeah, that sounds about right. But uh, yeah, how you doing, Mike?
1: Doing all right. I am well protected by a fort of foam right now. We're trying something inside. new. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh, I have. A table cloth made of flock, which for those of you who don't play uh, tabletop wargaming, flock is, it simulates little tiny miniature blades of grass. Think of turf. And then I've got some foam all over the place, some blankets hanging up. Um, Yeah, because why not? I figure I'm not going to be in a studio, but I might as well just put crap all over my basement because, yeah, whatever. Feels professional, I suppose. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it looks like we're playing Battlefield with old pieces of foam covered in dog hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very professional.
0: Oh, that's how, how we like to do it. And then I forget to turn the volume off on of my actual laptops. So we pick up a nice little chime there. Um, yeah, so um, we kind of missed a week there, but, you know, travel schedule yeah. and whatnot. Just got back from L.A. You just got back from Miami? That's right, oh, yeah. Really fantastic. Uh, warm weather in Miami? Yeah, beautiful weather. Okay. I got
1: to uh, swim with manta rays, uh, not by design. It was, we were just out on the beach and uh, oh, yeah? saw a gray shape in the water, went out to check it out. And so more was,
0: accurately, uh, manta rays swam, swam with you. With you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> I don't trust them ever since the crocodile <laughs> hunter incident. I That's a trust. stingray. Yeah, These are giant what? manta rays. Are you know, manta cool. rays, stingrays, <laughs> Jimmy Ray, I don't trust any of them, right? So I just stay away from all of it. So... So for this episode, instead of uh, us coming up with topics, we have actually received quite a bit of questions and topics and stuff from people who listen, so yay, Uh, and we figured we'd just talk about some of those because, you know, we're lazy, we didn't really come up with any topics on our own. So this first one is actually one that I find really enjoyable as a topic because it's one I I talk about quite often, which is basically how do control schemes of characters, right? Uh, How do they affect... Gameplay experience, um, the worlds, the design, that sort of stuff. Um, That question is from Adam. We've got quite a few questions from Adam and other folks here, so I'll just say your name out. So, hi, Adam. Hi, Adam. Um, um, Hello. So, um, this is something I I like to talk about a lot, um, specifically because I I will often say I do not like click-to-move mechanics. Um, that's something <laughs> that I used to kind of enjoy. Um, and, and as I've played more and more games and work with games, there, are, there are control scheme that I really don't like. Cause to me, it feels a lot like I'm no longer the player. I'm just sitting there telling the player where they're supposed to go. And that kind of takes away from a lot of the immersion in my, my perspective. Right. Um, now, 2D and 3D, it really depends on the design elements of the game as to whether or not there's immersion there and stuff. But uh, what are your thoughts on that, Mike? Because I, so, I talk about it all the time. Yeah,
1: and so I actually have the opposite perspective, which is mm-hmm. I really like point-to-click mechanics because it's fewer inputs to get the character to go where I want them to go. I just mm-hmm. click there and the uh, navigation system will find the character, you know, sure. the path for the character. So it's less effort on my part to get the intended result, which is I want to see this character over here. And I tend to like the fact that, oh, I'm bossing the character. Oh, around. I see. So you yeah. don't
0: feel like the character though? Uh,
1: I identify with the character, but mm-hmm. I don't think I am literally, literally am that character. Okay. You know, if it's a third person game, mm-hmm. you know, Laura Croft is Laura Croft, but mm-hmm. I am trying to make decisions, you know, for Laura so that to assist I get, Laura. Yeah, to basically see the story I want to see unfold. Like I think Laura, if she were smart, she'd go to that corner and then jump off or uh, okay. go to that position and shoot. So I'm going to instruct her to go do that. Um I don't think of myself as Laura Croft. Um but that's that is a very interesting debate. The whole first person versus third person, what mm. is what is immersion? Is immersion I am in the game or is it I understand the world and what's going on and what the character is physically doing.
0: Sure. I mean, I suppose if you want to do like the technical thing, right, immersion, that flow Mm -hmm. is basically where your consciousness turns off Mm -hmm. and the part of your brain that knows, hey, this isn't a real experience, that part goes to sleep. Mm -hmm. And so what you're left is the the more primal, instinctual parts of your brain which have no idea that you're not Lara Croft or mm-hmm. have no idea that you're not really riding a dragon, in the back of your brain is going, I'm riding a dragon, <laughs> right. rock and roll, right? Because right? right. the front part of your brain is asleep because mm-hmm. immersion uh, it has turned it off. Mm. And um, so for me, point to click is just commonly this whole like, I'm not playing the game mm-hmm. or I'm not in the mm-hmm. game, I'm not in the game, I'm not in the game. It really helps me kind of really get into it which was really kind of like why I really associated it so much with uh, Diablo Three on the console. Because on PC, I played it a lot, but again, it was more of a... I played it with my friends, Mm -hmm. not necessarily because I was super immersed, but just because it was kind of an activity. Mm -hmm. Um, However, on the console, uh, they got rid of click-to-move, obviously, because you have a controller, so it was more like a beat-em-up, and I could really get Mm -hmm. into it, and I really liked it um, in that format. So, yeah, being part of the character is super important. Now, a lot of people you know, they think simpler input mechanics make it easier to get into immersion, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I don't know what your opinions of that are. I, I, I personally believe that that's probably accurate. The less you have to think about what you're trying to make the character do to make them actually do mm-hmm. it, kind of like what you were saying, mm-hmm. the more likely you are to just sort of slide into that role. Um, I don't quite have that sensation personally because I'm fairly good with a controller. I've mm-hmm. grown up with it, you mm-hmm. know, my whole life. And so complex control schemes are not really that, they don't really break immersion for me, but I could see other players who maybe aren't as comfortable with a controller or um, are looking for a more simple gameplay experience, but very much prefer simpler mechanics.
1: Yeah. I, and that's interesting because, yeah, you grew up with the um, console generation. Uh, I mean, your generation never knew a world without consoles, whereas... Mm-hmm. Uh, People my age remember a world without computers, right? And sure, then yeah. computers and consoles came out. And coming from an Asian background, my parents were like, an Atari? That's just for games. Mm-hmm. We're going to get you an Apple computer because that's for education. Sure. Of course, we only used it for games. For games, right. But now <laughs> I'm I'm raised on what would become PC gaming. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm used to that environment. And uh, from my perspective, the control schemes um, from games for games used to be really really complex i mean the number of verbs so to speak that a player could initiate used every single key on the keyboard Sure. if you played like an old role playing game the mm-hmm. equivalent of a world of warcraft would have been uh, the ultimate series you know even though it was only a single player game right right from a to z all those keys meant something mm-hmm. and all the numbers meant something mm-hmm. they're all very different um actions that a party or a character all the hot could keys take and yeah. command now if you're playing If you were to play a role-playing game, you know, especially on a console or something, you know, that's context-sensitive buttons. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I press X and it does whatever it needs to be done at that that
0: moment. That was really kind of the problem with the um, Dragon Age Origins, right? Playing it on the console, there were two – there was a radio menu inside of a radio menu Mm -hmm. doing anything. took so many controller key presses and everyone was like, you've got to play it on a keyboard, right? Because there's Mm -hmm. all these hotkeys. And then this third iteration, Dragon Age Inquisitions, I didn't like it on a keyboard because they really simplified the UI. So it's like, oh, you got to play it on a controller, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So from my perspective, I guess I've always grown up um, or or believe that software starts out complex and it becomes simpler and simpler mm-hmm. to control and use over time. And that's the ultimate. So when Point and Click came out for Graphic Adventures or for um, RTSs, Mm-hmm. Or um, or MOBAs, it's like, oh yeah, that's that's a very elegant way of saying instead of pressing left, right, forward, back. Oh my god, pressing forward all constantly and then yeah, uh, once in a while because it would like never go on. the way you wanted it to yeah. anyway yeah. because so, it was a refined yeah, process. Yet. Yeah, so just click and it'll get there, and then meanwhile I can worry about my next strategic mm-hmm. decision. Or whatever.
0: Right, right, yeah. yeah. I remember the King's Quest games, mm-hmm. Hero Quest. Uh, oh man, just all of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the point of click. Yeah, I used to be super into those because those were the only option, mm-hmm. right? Um, kind of going back to console versus PC. You know, I was five when we had a console in the house. I think I think we had Pong or we were borrowing it. I was that, that was kind of too far back for me to remember. But it definitely, we had a Nintendo Entertainment System, mm-hmm. right? But I was ten before I got my first computer, and at that point, it was one that I just mowed lawns to buy. It was old at that point mm-hmm. even you know so I was older than that even when I realized you can play games on computers <laughs> like oh my god right and then obviously you learn that that's kind of used to be the only <laughs> way you could play and so on and you get an appreciation for that but um, but it's but it is interesting you know this whole concept of, of complex control schemes versus simple control schemes because you know you can take it I like complex control schemes mm-hmm. right I, I feel that those kind of give you very a lot of options in the game which gives you a lot of agency which makes you feel very much like you're in the game mm-hmm. um but then you take a game like uh, heavy rain right uh where it was very simple controls with these sort of cinematic button sequences which i know button sequences are kind of like uh pog was right a fad thing that right. was like super yeah. popular and now everyone like hates them but um i think done correctly in a very cinematic environment dumbing down the inputs to such a point where you just sort of melt into the storyline is, is really quite cool. Yeah, I don't really have much mm-hmm. of an opinion of it 2D versus 3D, though, because I think it really depends on the context of the game and the design.
1: Yeah. You mean well, – let me refresh my memory. The question – the original question is –
0: Is how you control the players.
1: Okay. How you control the players. Like what are the differences between, um, say, third person and, and – First person.
0: Yeah, the it's, actual question is how character controllers in this context, meaning how you control the character, mm-hmm. uh, 2D, comma 3D, comma first-person shooter connect players to game worlds. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like,
1: well, the advantage of first person is uh, the obvious. Well, uh, it's through your eye. Mm-hmm. You know, not, I wouldn't say eyes but until we have the Oculus Rift and the Valve system and all that stuff. Yeah, it's, they simulate it's well up. yeah, yeah it's a, it simulates. 3D vision, sort of on a 2D screen. So it's really a camera eye. It's a lens Mm -hmm. right in the middle of your head. It's a trick. Yeah, Yeah. it's a trick. So you feel like I am controlling where the camera is. And so therefore, it's me. Um, So that's the obvious trick there. But it has a limitation of when I crouch, I don't see a body in the crouching position. So I don't start to feel that sensation of I'm crouched down. I just, Mm -hmm. my Mm -hmm. perspective maybe shifts downward, but that's it. Versus, say, a third-person shooter... Uh, where you would see the character take cover and you're like, whoa, this character is hunched down and I mm-hmm. feel that sensation, the pressure in the knees, the weight. And all that Gears of War really stuff. gave yeah. me that yeah. first third yeah.
0: person s- cinematic effect. Yeah,
1: so their there arguments For and against, you know, both of those. It really depends on what you're trying to express. Convey. Uh, Yeah, yeah. convey as for the experience. um, Is it the sense of control and that you are the player versus uh, we want you to understand what the character is doing Mm -hmm. and then have a sensation of what it is like physically to be there.
0: Absolutely. Context of the game really matters too. I mean, the more abstract a game is, the more abstract a control scheme has Mm -hmm. to be so that the immersion sort of fits. And I mean, a great example, or I guess a great example, I'm I'm judging my own example, I I would assume a great example, would be something like um, Ori and the Blind Forest is Mm -hmm. a very stylized, very aesthetically driven, very abstract style game. If you gave me a very realistic first person, like 3D character control scheme, it would feel very out of place because the whole world is just so Willy Wonka, Mm -hmm. Right. But inversely, like if you take, you know, um, a more realistic game like say uh, Heavy Rain and you try to make it just a 2D side scroller, then all of a sudden that doesn't match up either because it's almost too abstract when you really want to put yourself in the game. So context is really the most important part in my opinion. You know, having the control scheme match the style and the intention of the game.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And then I think the second part you said it was like how a um, – not the player control scheme but the dimensions of the world. is. Oh, it yeah. I hadn't gotten to that. that was, okay. So
0: that was the second part. Okay. Here. I'll bring it up now because yeah. we can start into that. So the second part is, is how does the dimensionality affect the experience, right? 2D versus 3D. Okay. Um, so like what was the example sort of given and then I'll, I'll pray upon mm. was what was sort of the difference in experience between playing Mario – 2D versus, say, like the first Mario 64, the 3D Mario, mm-hmm. or any of the subsequent mm-hmm. 3D Mario games, or any really like Metroid or any mm-hmm. equivalent Castlevania, so on and so forth.
1: All right. Um, okay, let let's, let me put a mental note here. I don't think we finished one thought, which was about control schemes. You mentioned complexity and control scheme for mm-hmm. the player character. Mm -hmm. And um, I think nowadays we also have to talk about competitive play and how control scheme is important in that regard too. Mm -hmm. Like where complexity, does it allow me to um, uh, demonstrate mastery at a higher level? Like there's a control scheme that's simple enough for me to understand and play Mm -hmm. the basic game. But if I'm willing to micromanage this particular portion of the input like i can interrupt the animations or i can yeah uh i can shorten the reload times and all that kind of stuff how that enhances uh play for some people and i think maybe you are that type of player whereas i don't know that f- that i am see that's, so that's
0: quite funny because i was about to mention that anyone listening right now could tell you were a starcraft player just from the way you described <laughs> yeah. that, because that is so not me. Okay. Like, I like complex uh-huh. control schemes and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but everything you're describing, like the actions per minute yeah. and stuff like yeah. that, is straight out of real-time <laughs> strategy, like competitive StarCraft play and things like that. So, I don't know. Like, I know that's your jam. Well, actually, mm-hmm. I suppose yeah. not. You swore it off yeah. because <laughs> right. cause, see, you got, got mad about it one day, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a very, I suppose a very different approach or concept or whatever is uh, this whole, you know, competitive gameplay kind of turns everything on its its side, right? right? I mean,
1: like, look at the popularity of certain Twitch channels. Mm -hmm. They are all about the games with a control scheme that ostensibly is simple. It's a, this is a 2D uh, puzzle game, but... Controlling the nuance because of the inertia and the physics and whatnot is so difficult that solving this is nigh impossible. And everybody yeah. loves watching these replays. Oh, oh my God, he almost didn't. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. But see, no, he
0: didn't. what you've you've hit upon something that's not unique to video games. Really, though, take the concept of watching sports. I can play basketball. You can play basketball, mm-hmm. but we can't really play basketball. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. again, you've just described. We can all do this, mm-hmm. but we can't all actually mm-hmm. do this, which is what makes watching it so. Like, I know everything this person is doing, but I'm still blown away that this person right, is, right. is actually doing this. It's like
1: uh, witnessing really good music, or yeah, like mm-hmm. watching professional sports. Is like mm-hmm. we appreciate the control and mastery it takes to be able to pull off these to things this, against right. a machine, yeah. right? It's like um, so. Uh, anyways, so we'll about I think that was the one, on. the one hanging idea that I, I wanted us to talk about. That I think we, we well, missed before it, moving on to it does allude
0: to an interesting idea yeah. too. Though, is immersion important in multiplayer games? Is immersion important in competitive games? What immerses you? Is it the game that immerses you, or is it the competition that immerses you? You know, is it one of those things? Is would you be equally as satisfied being some beating someone in StarCraft as you would? an arm wrestling match or a pie eating contest or a basketball game, or is it the competitiveness that puts you into it? Or is it the actual gameplay? No,
1: no. For me, uh, uh, it's not the gameplay. It really is the, uh, content. Like Mm -hmm. I believe that group of Marines got,
0: you get into the Massacred, story. Massacred. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. You
1: believed, like, those little dots. Like, you're saying you shut off that, whatever, that frontal part of your brain. Yeah. That says, mm-hmm. these are just pixels, dude. But you, like, no. like, no. No, yeah, yeah. These little guys who are trying to thwart my expectations, and my dominance, mm-hmm. or my control, or my ability to just live in peace on this map, these little, you know, guys yeah. who are screwing around with me, you know, got what was coming to them. And mm-hmm. so I feel really good about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, but also a large part of it is the meta, where it's like I'm going to fake. I think I could fake this player out. Mm-hmm. Looking at how they're, you know, doing certain things, I think if I did this and instead of this, they would fall for this trap. And then to see, you know almost like pantomime this person fall into the trap or not mm-hmm. uh is really thrilling because it's like whoa it's like i'm creating um, nice. a situation you're creating your own narrative basically. yeah yeah it's it's yeah. sort of like when you were a little kid and you're out in the backyard and you're like oh wouldn't it be great if a rabbit actually tried to eat this carrot that i put underneath this box mm-hmm. and you wait and you wait wait and then something happens and you try it and you it go, doesn't work but, but but whatever it's like that was just mm-hmm. the fantasy of I could actually have my own rabbit, nice. and it, and I could do it by outsmarting Your it in own this patsy. way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so- and it's like. And you could do the yeah. same thing in a video game on a competitive level.
0: I totally. I mean, that's kind of like the the, the enjoyment of a marine. It really is real to you. Those are real Marines. They're mm-hmm. your friends. I. You know, I was upset when Eris died. I think everyone mm-hmm. was right um, because you, you lose that. But again, it's just so funny the big differences in gaming between me and you because you have these you have these thoughts, right? Uh-huh. You have these plans, and you have this story behind this, and these traps, and this. I'm playing a game, and I'm just walking around in my in my head. All I'm hearing is just "you suck, you suck." I killed you, I killed you. I died. That was cheap. Okay, you suck, you suck. That's literally it. That's the only thing happening in my head right now. And so it's just you like describe these symphonies of thought and plan and, and i'm just like you suck you that's suck. why i only play 1v1
1: i don't play team games because you, you don't you. want to hear my teammates berate you over how bad yeah
0: are you i just i don't i don't say it out loud yeah. you know i try to be courteous mm-hmm. but that's what that's the mm-hmm. only thing happening in my head is like i'm better than you i'm better than you i bet i'm better than you and then i'm dead and i'm just like oh that was stupid i was better than that person you know? yeah. i don't know like a very different <laughs> gameplay experiences okay anyway digression over um yeah, so this whole idea of, like, okay, so user experience. We'll call it user narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, between 2D and 3D games, how you approach those. And so I, I, I'm taking the example of Mario quite literally um, because it's something that was written and asked about. But to me, anyway, you know, granted that, that Mario was there at the birth of my gaming experience, right? My real first gaming experience was before even it was my gaming experience. My dad was obsessed with mario on the nes it's the only game he's ever played and the only game yeah. he's ever played since and he you know just trying to beat it trying to beat it. and this was before guides before the mm-hmm. internet all this stuff and i remember like two o'clock in the morning you know, on a school night my dad waking me and my brother up and making us come downstairs we're like what is happening he had saved the princess yeah and he had beaten <laughs> bowser that's great and he was like he woke everyone up he's right. like i finally did yeah. it yeah and that instilled something in me, yeah. that moment of greatness. And yeah. he turned it off and never touched the game again. <laughs> right. And never touched any game again. And because it was enough. That yeah. Was, yeah. And uh, and so then I've just been on a less lifelong journey for that that high, I yeah. guess, where the where you're finally like, that was enough. I've done it. But to we me, We used to take,
1: pick people used to take film, you know, old yeah. film pick, I remember beating um, and, yeah, what was his the, name? King Hippo in
0: uh-huh. uh, Punch Out. Yeah. right is that was that his name yeah i think so and i remember beating him and my mom taking a picture of me with a camera <laughs> like standing in front of the screen like i beat him cuz it was so hard right but um but so to me in that regard i'm not going to say all 2d games uh-huh. because like i felt very compelled by Ori and the black force i bring that up yeah. a lot cuz it was just i think it was yeah. a great game but for like mario or sonic or mm. even castlevania Those games represent a skilled challenge, being 2D, like I'm going to beat this, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this, that whole precise inertial Mm -hmm. movement that you would Mm -hmm. describe, right? That's what 2D games kind of are to me in general. There are exceptions, right? Uh, Like this War of Mine was a very emotional Mm -hmm. style, Mm immersion-based game, but for most games, 2D games are a bit of all about the puzzle or the challenge. But as soon as you bring 3D into it, like Mario 64, this 3D game, which is still very much just a Mario game but at the same time now you're you're in it it kind of you kind of start becoming interested by the story and who is this character and 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 you know when you say hey i'm jumping or i'm being attacked by this enemy in a 2D game you just sort of mean it in a general sense but to me in a 3D game you kind of actually mean it right oh i'm being mm-hmm. attacked right mm-hmm. um and so 3D games in my opinion kind of really aid in that immersion a little bit better than 2D does cuz 2D really is such an abstract concept mm-hmm. since we mm-hmm. live in a 3D world yeah.
1: Um, for me, 2D is akin to, uh, let's say, if, you know, if there was a giant outside of your house and he was able to rip the roof off and look into the mm-hmm. basement and look into the basement room, the giant could see everything mm-hmm. perfectly mm-hmm. Uh, and then be able to say, oh, if the two mics wanted to navigate out of this room, I know exactly what they have to do. Uh, they would have to, you know, uh, get up and then turn right and then they go up the stairs and they'd be out. But in a third person 'm uh, oh, so how a, you would get out
0: of my house. <laughs> in a
1: first person uh, view uh, you are like well i'm in the basement I
0: gotta look I'm around. at the
1: table, but i don't know what's behind me. I actually have to turn there to look, mm-hmm. and so that immediately begs you know that mystery that question the exploration and it's interesting that you you put up um one of your um one of your first inclinations when you're playing mario sixty four is like you know where am I? Where am I going? You know, it, you're asking mm-hmm. yourself all these questions. In a treaty game, the whole world is, well, that map or that level, mm-hmm. especially in old, old school games where it was a static level. Um, all the information is put right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you need to do is very clear. I have to eat all the dots and I can see every single dot. I know mm-hmm. where every single ghost is and, or I know where uh, every barrel is. I know where Donkey Kong is. I know where uh, Peach is. I know all those things. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of getting there is really hard. Sure. Uh, whereas in a third person, uh, maybe you just push forward and you put something in the middle of the screen and you pull on the trigger and it dies and it's done. It's simple. Mm-hmm. But it's the finding where you have to go sure. that becomes more difficult.
0: There uh, are very unique yeah. design elements yeah. to it.
1: And, and it goes back, again, to that player control scheme. Uh, when I talked about uh, Ultima having... An action associated with every key on the keyboard. You know, you could think of that as a player input verb, mm-hmm. and then that would create in the software, um, you know, an action on screen. You know, another mm-hmm. verb, a sure. software verb, I guess. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then that would create output to the screen for me to observe. And so now I'm doing acting out the verb of vision. Mm-hmm. I'm either reading my score or reading text, or dissecting up the composition of the graphics presented to me to try to get information out of it. That whole cycle of Me as a player creating verbs Mm -hmm. or enacting verbs, and then the software reacting with—I guess that's interactivity. It's the creation of inputs and outputs, outputs, right? Um,
0: Maybe that's really what Adam
1: is asking: is how how um, does one's decisions about inputs and outputs affect the style of the game, maybe the control one has in the game? And it's like because I can imagine. Um, I've used this example in classes before. There's an old arcade game called track and field mm-hmm. where to run, there were simply two round buttons mm-hmm. on, the, on the front of the machine. And you just slapped one, that was your left foot, and you slapped the other, and that was your right foot. And you just alternate back and forth, slap, 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 slap. But the, on a visceral level, excuse me, I almost mm-hmm. uh, coughed right there. On a visceral level, it mimics the back and forth, left, right, left, right motion of our
0: legs. Take it a step further to coop. Worth. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, and that's, that's all it its is four buttons. Then
1: right, but um, whereas in our uh, our nature is to learn how to walk when we're infants mm-hmm. to the point where we don't even think about individual muscles. We just think the impulse: left foot, right foot. And, you know, mm-hmm. almost not. We don't don't even think left foot, right foot. We just start walking. Well, it's right? yeah, it's and instinctual. So the,
0: you just sort of hurl yourself against gravity, and your <laughs> foot just goes out right, and catches right, you.
1: Right, and so this game is m- using a metaphor of slapping buttons. Is running. Mm-hmm. Whereas Quop says We're
0: not gonna simplify the Yeah, process. yeah, yeah. I'm
1: going to actually make the metaphor coordinating the inputs of these four buttons is control is contracting and relaxing muscles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, who thinks about running is the contraction and relaxation of muscles? Nobody. And that's why Quap is such a hard game versus track and field, which is
0: But it also makes you realize why you fell down so much when you were learning mm-hmm. how to walk. Because yes. it yeah. really is that hard. Yeah, right. And that and even Quop is a simplified version mm-hmm. of what is actually involved in walking yeah. with all your toes and angles and whatever. Yeah. So
1: maybe it took us half an hour to get to the essence of the question, which is the metaphor you apply to the inputs and outputs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to explain to you this output in terms of this simple input. Yeah. Well, generally speaking, in, in the case of Quap, it's not
0: simple input. Mm-hmm. But – But yet it is. It is still just simple input. It's just four buttons. (laughs) That's true. But it's the coordinating of those
1: buttons. And so maybe there's another element to this. It's not just the the input actions themselves, but the relationship between those input actions Mm -hmm. and the resulting action on screen. Mm -hmm. Because I think, isn't there like a it always seemed to me like I didn't quite know if I had done the right thing in co until it was like two seconds too late. And it's like, now I'm in an uncontrolled fall. Yeah, and I can't do yeah, anything yeah. about it. Yeah. Versus track and field, the character immediately responds to that slap. And either yeah. it's on or off. And either I got it or I didn't. Speed sped up or slow down. Or and bad. so there's yeah. a relationship between what I put into the system, what I get out, and mm-hmm. my ability to read that, that also has an impact on the feel, so to speak, of the control scheme.
0: So it becomes kind of this um, recipe, if you will, mm-hmm. I mean, ideally, all games, and then we'll we'll focus on video games, simplify all actions, right? There's nothing you're ever going to do in a game that's as Mm -hmm. complex as doing it in real life, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Co-op is a great example of how even just four buttons is still a super simplified version of actually walking, Mm -hmm. um, yet it's incredibly difficult. So all games are going to simplify your inputs, your controls, right? And so your priority then is to take Actions that don't actually matter, and removing them completely. Uh-huh. I don't focus on breathing or blinking right. in a game. Right. I don't focus on actually putting the armor on. Uh-huh. I just select it; it's on. Uh-huh. You know, so I remove, abstract away all of uh-huh. those inputs, and then the ones that are important to me—running or shooting or uh, grabbing something or catching a ball or whatever—I simplify as much as I can or I want. Based on the design philosophies of the game. And we've still, even with games that are, have highly complex controls, we see a trend towards simpler control schemes always. Uh, if, I don't know if you remember the ill fated Z board, right? The Z board was that keyboard that had the, inner, the removable faces to it so you can get a face uh, for your different games, uh-huh. um, where the keys were all replaced with uh-huh. keys that had the names of the hotkeys right. and stuff on it. Well, you know, that didn't work out for a lot of reasons. But, uh, but that was kind of of an era where the keyboard games were still very complex. And so you needed these reminders of what all these buttons mm-hmm. to hit. Um, but, I mean, it's really not necessary anymore. I mean, we've kind of refined keyboard input a lot and, and, and uh, controller input a lot. Um, and so it then becomes, okay, I can simplify this. How simple do I want it to be? How complex of an operation is aiming and shooting a gun? How complex mm-hmm. of an operation is throwing a grenade? And, and that becomes the true crux of input design there is no right or wrong at that point once you've removed everything that doesn't matter and simplified everything that does matter then it becomes okay in this genre for this target audience if with this gameplay narrative intention in this dimensionality what is the perfect path to give me an immersive game that retains some level of complexity but also is easy enough for your consciousness just to fall mm-hmm. into it. And that sounds like a lot of words to describe a very, very complex process that it re- really kind of makes or breaks every game, mm-hmm. right? Because you do that part wrong and the rest of the game doesn't matter. Right, right. Yeah. Um,
1: the important thing is, is that the, the actions that you ask of the player uh, should, in general, simplify... The uh, are, should be simple enough to help us understand a more complex uh, reality uh, sure. in the game, right? Mm-hmm. The act of shooting is actually a lot of things going on, mm-hmm. but for you, it's uh, moving the reticle with uh, you know, with the left stick or something like that, sure. You know? Um, in general, you'll always see a game designer trying to translate or use a metaphor again. Uh, mm-hmm. to use that to, to say i ha- i want you to understand this idea of targeting a gun mm-hmm. through the vocabulary of a very uh, you know very simple vocabulary of uh controller in your hand yeah. which has two sticks and a couple of buttons mm-hmm. um and so i think yeah i think that's the crux of it is how can i simplify this very complex idea um even if shooting doesn't seem like a complex idea at this point yeah. it is actually a lot of lot of things going on especially in a three-dimensional world yeah. you know like what are you actually pointing at in the three-dimensional world the horizon the point 20 feet in front of you mm-hmm. like what is that like yeah. that's all been simplified for you through the and it's the actually a design. lot of tricks too yeah. when
0: you actually start making one of those you realize it's not actually right. what you think it is right. I like to think of it a lot like the Power Rangers uh, in in an example um, so you know I love the Power Rangers I watch it with my kids but uh, so you, you see when they're in the Zord right so they're all in this big giant mecha robot Zord mm-hmm. fighting these monsters and they have some control stick in front of them like a joystick or whatever and so they issue their command and like oh fire sword attack and they all push the the mm-hmm. thumb the the joystick forward and then the, the zord jumps in and slashes and punches mm-hmm. and, and they're like oh we got to run away and they push the same thumbstick right. forward yeah. but they didn't make the exact same so, motion each right. time and these super complex things are happening yeah. and it's like how do we Translate that, the metaphor, as, yeah. you, as you say. How do we take these simple commands and, and translate them to these very um, potentially complex interactions in a believable way? And that's mm-hmm. also super kind of important. Yeah, um, Yeah. and yeah. it's yeah. an and, odd thing.
1: Right. You also mentioned – and I know this isn't exactly what Adam was asking because he was more concerned about um, you know, two-dimensional world, three-dimensional world. Mm-hmm. I think your answer is like, you know what are you trying to express? So mm-hmm. you as a designer, what are you trying to express? But now I think we're really starting to focus more on the player experience it's not about the world and how it's represented it's about how is the the player uh experiencing
0: uh, yeah adam we're not answering your question Um, i'm not playing your game (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's um it is a complex subject and there and maybe we don't actually know what adam's asking or maybe maybe no one does (laughs) what is anyone asking really um because even, even so, our bodies are simplified actions for what our brains are trying to do. And yeah, no. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's too far. That's too Matrixy. Too for me. Too far. Yeah, we're going to wake we up. We can go We're, deeper. In, we're, yeah, we're in like yeah. some vat of, of goo. Um, I don't know. Do you have any more on the topic? I don't feel like we've maybe answered anything, but I'm cool with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I had a point and, I, and I've forgotten it. So let's just move on.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll summarize by this. How do the character controllers connect players to the gameplay worlds? uh, very complicatedly. And then how does dimensionality affect experience, um, with practice? I don't know. How does one get to Carnegie hall practice? Mm. Um, anyway, before a couple of these other topics, let's get to some of the other questions maybe. Um, so Christian had asked us, what are some books about video games and their creation that you recommend? I recently read masters of doom and it was an incredible read. Um, Thank you, Christian. First off, I've never heard of that book. I'm going to have to check it out because that sounds pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think, Mike?
1: Um, My first initial gut reaction is like, why are you asking about books? (laughs) Because in today's day and age, um, uh, it would seem to me that the best place to learn about how games are made is actually the internet. Uh, Because... uh, Uh, Believe it or not, after 12 years of working on AAA games, uh, working on one of the most uh, popular franchises in modern uh, gaming history, I really didn't know much about game making. And Mm. set upon it, you know, since I was on this, quote unquote, semi-retirement or sabbatical, call it what you will, I thought, I'm going to learn how to make my own game. And, um, in fact, really didn't use any texts except for maybe yours.
0: Thanks Uh, for that. I have... I'm going to interject and just yeah. say I write books and I still highly recommend the internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be completely honest. I don't use books to learn what I write into my books, you yeah. know, and – Now, yeah.
1: that that said, um, uh, I learned how to uh, script my uh, simple games mm-hmm. uh, from the internet mm-hmm. is really the answer. Whether it was the online manual, uh, the user forums – Submitting bugs and then getting responses from the developers saying, oh, it's not actually a bug, but you have a misunderstanding sure. of how the system works. And then really YouTube videos of just really mm-hmm. generous individuals saying, I really want to share what I've learned. Mm-hmm. And then they show you how they do something. And you watch two or three different approaches to how to solve the same problem. And next thing you know, you have you can really solve a lot of problems in, in game development. Sure. So if you wanted to learn a tool or mm-hmm. to make a game, I would say That's where you go. But um, I remember in my undergrad days having a professor come up to us halfway through the semester and apologizing, saying, you know, I've been around um, this subject for so long. I've forgotten what you may or may not know Mm -hmm. walking into the room. And it's come to my attention. Some of you are are lost. And me, again, I'll go back to my Asian heritage, always thought it was my fault. (laughs) that I had no idea what was going on. But all the uh, uh, frat guys in the class were like, uh... We Don't get this, you know. that mm-hmm. there, there were no
0: frat guys, yeah. I was raised Catholic, yeah. I completely get it. Uh, the whole yeah. yeah. guilt thing, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Like, th- this is like a structural, um, a theoretical and applied mechanics. Like, there's no frat guys in those classes, but, anyways, back this was the 90s. Come on, yeah, okay. no, this is like Revenge of the Nerds era. Um, nerds, uh, so no, some guys had approached the professor and explained to him, you know, we don't. We don't actually get what you mean when you're saying the unit vector is doing this or whatever. Mm-hmm. So,
0: um,
1: so he he took a step back and he and he went back to basics. And I think that's where a book can come in, uh, very handy if you don't have any prior experience or ac- access to the gaming community or feel too shy to to make a presence on the forums and stuff yeah the rigor that goes into publishing a book requires that the vocabulary used be well-rounded and generally yeah accurate um so that would be a great way to learn the keywords that will help you find the content you need to find online
0: Exa- so yeah so i'll backstep and say um kind of rephrase what mm-hmm. i just say because it just made it sound like i believe everything i'm doing is pointless <laughs> but um, cause that's not the case um so, a couple of things. Really, most of the books that exist shouldn't. Um, only, And they kind of still exist due to, just like paper money, society holding on to these things mm-hmm. that aren't super necessary because they existed in a time before the other tools existed, mm-hmm. you know, before internet and things like that. So... I don't use books to write my books because no such things exist, really. Um, A lot of the books are written, and they're not very good. Um, I actually decided to write my first book because most of the offerings in the area were inadequate. And I thought, well, I could just bash on these books, but everyone always says, hey, can you do better? So I'm like, well, I'll give it a try. And I don't know if I've succeeded or not, but I, I, I do that. And maybe they're all thinking the same thing. Books have, as you said, they're... In my opinion, books are great for teaching you what you don't know. Um, someone always says, you know, hey, when are you going to write an advanced book? Well, I'm not going to write an advanced book because what would be the point of that? There's a reason there aren't advanced books. I'm sure there are some advanced books. But really, once you get to the level advanced, you know the questions asked. You just go find the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what all of the things are and you know what you don't know. So you just want to go know about these specific things. Mm-hmm. Also, there's really no identifying what one person would consider advanced and another person intermediate mm-hmm. or even beginner, right? If you're great at math, then advanced math concepts might be very trivially, mm-hmm. trivial to you. So books have a, a, a useful thing in fundamental baseline knowledge. And there's also a very, at least in my mind, a very special permanence to them. I, Even though I use the internet for most of my research, I would very much prefer to use a book, very much prefer to use mm-hmm. a book because... To me, there's something about how quickly you can access the data. The data is always there. You're never trying to find the web page. You're not slogging through a video uh, the more i use the internet the more i'm just like can we please skip the first three minutes of every video and the mm-hmm. first two paragraphs yeah. of every article because mm-hmm. the first two paragraphs of every article is hey do you know there's this problem that exists yes i do because mm-hmm. i'm here reading right. your article like right. let's get through your introduction and thesis let's just yeah. just tell me the answer yeah. same with videos like mm-hmm. you have to watch someone's insufferable intro mm-hmm. video and then the introduction and sort of a highlighting of a problem and I'm like, please, just get to the point. And with a book, I can just – I want to know where the code is. So I just scroll Mm -hmm. until I see code syntax. I'm like, oh, that's the code. Okay, I can highlight it. I can – all these things. Stuff that you can do electronically with the internet, but it's just so much faster and so much more permanent with the book. It's Mm -hmm. not going anywhere. Um, So there's a lot of value in that to me. A lot of people are not good learners from the internet. And so books have a lot of value there. Um, So I guess to kind of circle back to the question, there are – There are a few books I would recommend specifically about video games, and there's quite a few I'd recommend not about video games that I believe have helped me a lot in video games. Um, So, the obvious game books that I really like, um, one of, I think, the most well-rounded is probably Fundamentals of Game Design by Ernest Adams. Um, It is a great general view of the idea of game design. Um, Video games, yes, but kind of all games. And... There's a lot of things that that Ernest writes about in his book that I don't necessarily agree with, but it's still a pretty solid fundamental, like, here's a shotgun approach to game design, right? Uh, Let's just hit every topic possible. Um, And so I I think it's a really good uh, groundwork. Um, Level Up by Scott, I think it's Rogers it's got something or other um it's a red binder book it's really good um i like it because a lot of the drawings are hand drawn and stuff and i can really associate with that and uh my next book is actually gonna be like where i just hand because i'm a terrible yeah. artist so um i think it's gonna be a lot of fun but um I've just, you know, a lot of the concepts in that book felt really good. And a lot of the industry explanation, like, hey, you've heard this term a million times. Ever wonder where it comes from? Well, I was there. Mm -hmm. So this is where it came from, you know? And you're just like, oh, okay, fair enough. That's really interesting. Um, So I really like those two books. Um, And there is a third one about games uh, that I am drawing a blank on. Um, uh, There there is the um, uh, Principles of Artificial Intelligence programming for games by example i think it's a super long title um it's got a picture of some guy's face made with stars and points on the cover but that book is awesome because it's like hey you want to skip all of the theory about artificial intelligence and just actually make some let's do that and like first chapter you're just like hey man let's we're writing this code it's c c plus plus and we're going to write these routines for actual ai and you're just like Heck, yeah. all <laughs> so, uh, from the very moment you start reading it, every page has interesting, mm-hmm. useful information on it, which is super rare for any book or internet medium or whatever. There's always tons of chaff and a few nuggets, and that book is really, really solid. Um, I've been talking a long time. So before I transition to my non-gaming books, mm-hmm. do you have gaming books? Um, yeah,
1: yeah. There, I would, hearing you talk jogged my memory, and, now, and I apologize. I'm great. not as well prepared for this portion of our uh, our podcast that's what
0: makes it fun it's yeah. off the cuff
1: yeah it's off the cuff but you're talking about that like the hand-drawn art mm-hmm. and like making it you know enjoyable it's fun to look at and it's and it's approachable uh, a theory of fun which i think is beyond its first edition now and it's written by oh what's his bucket from mmo guy a good guy uh rob pardo no 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 um oh shoot I know what he looks like, and his name just slipped out of my head. But, anyways, it's a book called A Theory of Fun. A
0: Theory of Fun.
1: Um, okay. Which is not about a specific genre of games, um, but
0: about the theory. Or of about
1: fun. video games specifically, other than you may really enjoy video games and you may find them quote unquote fun. But what do you really mean by that? Like, how, mm-hmm. is there a way of understanding this concept of fun mm-hmm. in a more um, meaningful way? concrete way and he goes sure. and he illustrates like is this what fun could be you know and so mm-hmm. i thought that was it was always a very light way of getting into the idea of hey designing a game is actually a very intellectual process right sure and, yeah. and even if it's quote unquote <clears throat> just about the simplicity of fun you have it's to really very think about process, it yeah you have to even. really think about it mm-hmm. um and then as far as helping me learn how to make games the last time i read a book that i felt like wow this really helped make my career was back in the days when uh there were no free versions of any kind of software mm-hmm. and you had to you know come back from southeast asia with a cd rom burned <laughs> with the latest wares but there was no manual when wares was spelled yeah, with a Z. yeah then you go to your local um uh you know uh borders books you know like mm-hmm. which just doesn't ex- doesn't exist anymore doesn't, yeah maybe yeah <laughs> um you would uh get this how to use such and such app, you know, Mm -hmm. app application. Um, and you'd learn from that, Mm -hmm. that would be your manual. And you'd learn how to like, I can't tell you the modern video game industry is born out of the people getting ready access to software, teaching themselves how to use it, going to software companies saying you could hire me. And they're like, great, I'll hire you because Mm -hmm. you know how to use this obscure software that very few people have had access to. Yeah. Um, so and I think that's
0: built on theft. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> and I think that is probably why Autodesk and you know Unreal and Unity uh all make their software free at a certain level because dude, this is how people get to learn and how it's to use it getting
0: stolen anyway. Yeah, it's
1: gonna get it <laughs> stolen anyway anyways. Yeah. We might as well make sure that we've got the best market share. People learn it. Once they learn it, they don't want to give it up. And so it just becomes ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean look uh, at
0: Photoshop. Yeah. I mean, there are, alter- yeah. are alternatives, but let's be completely yeah.
1: honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was the last time I was like, wow, this thing really made, made or break uh, something for mm-hmm. me. Uh, but there was a book that I enjoyed, and I think it was like Game Architecture and Something or Other. It was uh, ostensibly about uh, programming. But mm-hmm. there were, I, as I recall, no actual examples of code. Instead, it okay. was from an engineering perspective, how would one break a game project down you mm. could do it this way you could do it that way it's these very are the pros and process. cons yeah uh, let's talk about your personnel who's on board like are they this type of personality then mm-hmm. think about this problem or that problem
0: um, it's interesting that you would list a book like that because back when i taught mm-hmm. i had access to free reference versions mm-hmm. of books to, to test towns like that and i got several books like that and i started reading them and i'm just like this is useless and i'd stop reading it because again very different backgrounds. You very much from a personal um, you know, approach to these things and me, I guess more from a programming mechanical Mm. where I'm just like, I don't really care what the personalities of people in my team are. And I don't really care how you would break. You know, I'm just gonna do do this thing, you know? Um so it's interesting again, these kind of parallels where uh or I guess perpendicularity, if you will. Um,
1: for me as a game artist or a level designer, I never really thought about, oh you have to have a strategy, and then you map out the architecture of the game mm-hmm. to allow all these role players to do things at the right times. Sure. Um, so that's when I gained this kind of cross-discipline appreciation for things. So that book, um, again, I can't remember the title but it was Game of. Well, if you remember it, yeah. it, I just remember it had an orange cover. And I'm sure there's been many editions of it since then. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay.
1: Yeah. Um, everything else that I've read from a text perspective has been more of a from a management perspective, like how to deal with people, because in game development, um, what gets your foot in the door is your ability to execute a certain style of work. It's only once you have to scale it to a, you know, because you are now working for a major publisher or now you're working for a platform holder. Now the team has to work at a much larger level. Mm -hmm. That's a skill that I think very few of us ever had. So, you know, you're picking up all these training manuals. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, there's the stereotype of the non-charismatic game dev anyway yeah. so the whole that yeah that's a very valuable skill set so 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 on my list of books that aren't necessarily game books but I've i really enjoy there I, I every few years I just throw away all of my books that's not mm-hmm. true i like donate them or mm-hmm. give them away or whatever I don't actually throw them away but uh there's basically just been a few that I've kept mm-hmm. I rarely keep books because I'm never going to mm-hmm. read them again sort of thing but uh so some of the ones I've kept that that have really been sort of impactful from that regard. Um one of the ones is a book called Encode and it's not even about programming and it's not about games. It is about it's it's written um from a, a, a female I believe in Ireland who won an internship to work at a computing company and it's all about math and She won math awards and then went and worked and helped like work on like triple AES encryption and things like that. And so it was all about math and encryption and security protocols and stuff. But what it was really enjoyable is is sort of the approach to – and again, it was sort of autobiographical, but at the same time, there were a lot of little math pieces thrown in Mm -hmm. there and – I don't know, something about that really resonated with the way sort of, the, some of the math things worked and the way encryption algorithms were explained that made you kind of appreciate these very complex mathematically-based systems from a, oh, it's just like shaking hands. Oh, it's just like uh, sending uh-huh. a briefcase with uh-huh. two locks on it instead of one. Uh-huh. And something about that made me... I guess, evaluate complex systems in a kind of different way. And so I've really appreciated that book because now you look at this really complex system and where some people might say, man, how would you build something like that? And I will try to look at it and say, well, let's just pull one piece off of it. And how would you build that? Now let's pull the next piece. And you realize that every complex system is just Legos, mm-hmm. right? It's just mm-hmm. these little pieces that are fundamental and basic, and just stacked to get this illusion of this really complex mm-hmm. thing. Um, so ENCODE, great book. Okay. Um, another one would be the Worldwide Mind. Um, and the Worldwide Mind takes one kind of basic premise that I really enjoy. And the premise is, if I was able to communicate brain to brain with you, no eyes, mm-hmm. no ears, no mouths, brain to brain, uh, over the internet, how would it be possible and what would it look like? And that's the whole premise mm-hmm. of the book. And so just like hey everything you think like about the matrix that's not that's not possible mm-hmm. everything you think about injecting games in your brain that's not possible mm-hmm. here's how it would actually work because this is how your brain actually works and that was super interesting to me uh, because I think a big part of game design and game development is uh, neurology is understanding brains is understanding how we think and, and, and evoke motions and how the brain is physically constructed and so that book says hey i could i could send you the th- i can't i couldn't send you an image of a yellow chair couldn't mm-hmm. happen because our brains have lived in isolation our entire lives mm-hmm. and they only get electronic signals through our organs so they have they would have not don't, we don't speak the same language mm-hmm. our brains literally do not speak the mm-hmm. same language we've developed our own patterns mm-hmm. for understanding But I could – so I couldn't send you an image of a yellow chair, but I could send you the idea of a yellow chair. Now, you would imagine your own yellow Mm -hmm. chair. I couldn't control which yellow – but that – but I could get you to think about a yellow chair just as I could think about a yellow chair. And so then the idea sort of becomes, okay, I can't give you exact experiences, but I can give you your own experiences Mm -hmm. in a kind of – fuzzy cloud-like mm-hmm. way, and then it goes on to talk about you know different experimentations with the way neurons work, uh, uh, using plant algae uh, to use photo to the photoreceptors to generate electronic stimuli that ultimately, in a lab environment, allowed scientists to cure Parkinson's in a rat using lights and and. Um, uh, op- uh, 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 fiber optics mm-hmm. and things like that. It's just weird. Like, hey, this is how your brain works. Check this out. And it's that whole like, oh, okay, so I get how your brain starts processing these things. And I, I, to me, I feel that that's kind of useful information as a game designer, right? I can't give you this experience, mm-hmm. but I can give you an experience, and your brain's going to decode or deconstruct that however you want. It's not up to me. So in that, you know, that is always interesting to me when you hear like a student say. I'm going to make the players fall yeah, in love with my character. Right, well, right. well, are you? Yeah. All you can really do is make the character likable and put them there. Mm-hmm. You you can't do that. Right. The brain, they don't speak the same language. And and not everyone has the same type and or the yeah. same values. And it's, maybe you can't do that, right? Um, and so that book is really, in my mind, useful for that. Um, another book, I believe by C- Brian Christensen, called The Most Human Human, is about the Turing test. And how you know people come and they take tests against these chat box clients, and they determine whether it's a person mm-hmm. or whether it right. was a machine. Mm-hmm. And the Turing test says if you can tr- if you can fool thirty three percent, I think it's thirty three percent, something like that, of all people, then you've achieved real AI, right? And to my knowledge, none of the ones have passed the Turing test, but uh, but they've gotten close. Well, as a side award, so the, the any machine that gets the closest mm-hmm. becomes the most human computer. Mm-hmm. Well, mixed in amongst all these chat clients is actual people, um, and they're the, mo- the person who convinced most people they're, the most, they're human, they, are, mm-hmm. they get the award of the most human human. <laughs> and so then the book, the, the book is all from this, this person's perspective as a journalist who says, well, I want to win this award. Yeah. So what does it mean to actually communicate as a person? What are mm-hmm. the limitations of hardware? What are the limitations of a chat box? What can I do to make the person on the other end know I'm a real person? Uh-huh. So it goes very much into human communication, uh, how ideas are expressed, again how the brain synthesizes ideas and stuff like that. It has some really cool, like experimental, like neuron communication stuff in it. But um, most of the, what does it mean to be another person as opposed to what experiences can a machine give you? Really, right? Um, and so that one's that was, again, pretty darn interesting. Um, I've been talking a long time. <laughs> and uh, there's one more book that I don't quite remember now anyway, so I guess okay. I'll just stop talking there. But, uh... and
1: the only thing I would want to add is uh, because the question uh, mentioned uh, Masters of Doom, which I believe is, it's not about how to make Doom or... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm
0: actually the technical... looking at my bookshelf.
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> the technical stuff uh, behind the game, but more about the history and the personalities behind the making of it. Mm-hmm. Um and so something that might be interesting if they haven't heard of it before uh there's a book about the history of the Xbox I think it was written by Dean Takahashi if I'm not mistaken. Okay. He's a journalist uh, but he's I believe he's based near Microsoft because he writes a lot about um you know the Xbox
0: mm-hmm. uh, Microsoft uh, strategy
1: yeah. and all that. So it talk, I, th- I believe this book is about I haven't read it but I've read like a chapter of it I, I remember um And I just remember always being impressed with his ability to pick up on rumors about whether it was Halo or the Xbox Mm -hmm. history because I had some of the insider perspective. Like, wow, this guy has some good sources because Mm -hmm. more often than not, he was right. right. Um, So I think this book would be a fascinating read for someone who was like, how did Microsoft, the people who made Windows and Word – uh, and then maybe Internet Explorer, mm-hmm. make the decision to enter the console war mm-hmm. and become number two yeah. for at least a couple of generations. So,
0: um Sure, yeah. yeah. So
1: I think that, you know, like how does how does, that, how does that happen? What are the That wasn't, Yeah, involved? you're right. And it yeah. really
0: it was an interesting strategy. Yeah.
1: So, um, I oh, God, I can't. Again, I'm not prepared, but look up the history of the Xbox. Uh, mm-hmm. Dean Takahashi, I believe. Is if you the, come up with it. Awesome. And again, if you yeah. come up with
0: the title, I'll post it. Okay. All right. So that last book, real quick, I don't want to keep going on with it, but – Um, uh, the book, uh, had to do with EQ, um, as opposed to IQ. Um, and I believe it was titled emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so it was basically how people can be intelligent emotionally and how like some people really bad at, recognizing when they're sad. Maybe they just don't even know they're sad Mm because they don't really know what that emotion is. Or if they're sad, why are they sad? If they're happy, Mm -hmm. why are they happy? Some people are really good at it. Some people Mm are really bad at it. Just like some people have a high IQ and a low IQ. Mm -hmm. Some people have a high EQ and a low EQ. But what was most really cool about that book is the first, I think, like 40% of it walks us through every stage of evolution of humans Mm -hmm. and as each piece of the brain is added and what does that do for us? And so that, that sheds a lot of light into how to tap into the emotions of another person. And as a storyteller, that's really what you're going for. Um, one of, I think the most interesting set sort of viewpoints, um, in that is why being angry is so easy, um, And why staying angry is so easy, and it really um, there's a part of your brain that when you're angry releases this chemical, and what the chemical does is it makes you feel good and makes you want to stay angry to release more of this chemical, and it's this feedback loop, and you sort of have to snap yourself out of it. It's like a a small term. Like addiction to being yeah. angry. So you just, right. you see, then you get more and more yeah. angry. And you, yeah. once you recognize that about yourself and you're like, I'm not actually angry. There's yeah. just a chemical in my brain yeah. right now that's right. saying, Hey, keep being angry. Cause this is fun. Right. I feel right. powerful. Yeah. I feel yeah. majestic, you know, yeah. like, Oh, I should probably stop that.
1: It's the dark side of the force.
0: Exactly. Right. Yeah. But this book was very interesting from that. Like differentiating what the different parts, you know, the neocortex, prefrontal cortex, and what they all do and, and how the feedback loops in your auditory senses and, and, and stuff like that, how they work. And, um, and that was really, really cool because, again, understanding the human brain, I think, is kind of one of the most important parts Even if you don't do it from an educational standpoint, but you just sort of intuit it, like, hey, I'm going to make my players feel this. I don't – I just feel this is the right way to go about it. And then you look scientifically and think, oh, yeah, that really was the right way to go about it. Uh, I think there's a lot to know there. And and I guess there's a lot to manipulate people Mm -hmm. with there. It's kind of – uh, yeah, I mean, you're basically reading security manuals with the intention of learning how to hack a system effectively, yeah. you know. Hey, you're going to have this natural, uncontrollable, instinctual response mm-hmm. this way. I'm going to use that, yeah. you know. I um, mean, you're not going to be able to control it at all, and I'm going to use it against you. And for good or for evil, it is what it is, right? Um, but that book was really, really insightful into that, and I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, that question was uh, from Christian. Okay. By the way, I don't know if I uh, said thanks, that previously. Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you did, yeah. So I think we got time for, for one more here. We're actually okay. kind of at time. But there's one more that I thought was enjoyable uh, from Patrick, uh, which is, what are some things that really annoy you in the current <laughs> video game industry? And so I'll let you start, Mike. Oh,
1: man. What, there's so much that annoys me. <laughs> um, one thing that really, really annoys me right now is uh, how most of us learn about the development of titles through online media and that online media is all driven on um views page views and you know it's Wait, basically man. all
0: clickbait. Do you, are you saying that books would be the better way? like what are you saying?
1: What i'm saying what do you mean
0: by the development of do you mean the how-to, how to or how is the game coming along? Yeah yeah uh
1: as a consumer of games mm-hmm. and i'm excited about it uh i do i do not access the developer directly. Mm. I do not um subscribe to a newsletter Um, fan interviews, uh, there's, there's nothing like that. I get it through websites that are designed to get me to click on a story, clickbait. Clickbait. It's all clickbait. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really annoys me because it's not, it's not real, uh, in my opinion, quality journalism and it's not, it doesn't present accurate information.
0: That's that whole Uh, ethics in journalism. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's part yeah, and, of what my annoyance is right now. And
0: obviously it's not just you. Mm-hmm. And so – sorry, I know you were, you had a follow-up thought there. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the platform fig, right, that we talked about previously, uh-huh. I believe one of the tenets of that was these dev logs. Yeah. Hear from the developers yeah. how it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm going to do a little plug here. Sorry. Um, but we launched a website called Made with Unity um, where the whole intention was, again – developers telling their story mm-hmm. let's build a relationship between mm-hmm. the developers and their players let's let's see their devlogs firsthand let's watch this mm-hmm. progress um it was just launched but you know normally i wouldn't mm-hmm. bring up work-related mm-hmm. stuff on this but it just seemed apropos. that sounds very very interesting and i'd like yeah. to check
1: it out. because i do believe we are this is an evolutionary dead end you cannot continue to consume information Man. about video games through the current junket system that publishers again, bringing
0: yeah, people the devs themselves have plenty of reason to lie. I mean, <laughs>
1: you know yes, what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you can't really right, trust right, them either. That's true. But um, I think if I were given the software to beta test or
0: mm-hmm. early
1: access or, you know, all that stuff, and I could read that – like if I'm interested in the story mm-hmm. of this developer um, – I'd rather be the person who's lying to me, <laughs> be the first party, not sure. some middleman. You don't want secondhand trichel, lies. Yeah, who's trying to get clickbait, uh, no, ad, ad revenue, um, and is just putting up BS stories after BS story. Sure. Trying to um, create news or buzz uh, that draws people to the website to consume information about games that's not genuine. Uh, That leads into my next annoyance, also media based Mm -hmm. on all these outsiders of the industry criticizing. And this goes like, I think Jade Raymond put it best. It's like, stop bitching about all the problems that we have as game makers and solve the problems. Like there's so much stuff we can do. Give an example. Okay, like um, ageism in games and the games industry. Personally, I don't believe it exists. Uh, I've seen plenty of 50 plus old uh gamers still working in the industry doing very good things.
0: Do you think that is so the whole idea of ageism, mm-hmm. I guess I guess this is a tangential question, but do you think do you think ageism is a cause of a lack of an older generation in the industry? Or do you think it's merely an interesting correlation? Cause I could see because there there are fewer older people in the mm-hmm. industry. That's just that is mm-hmm. what it is. But it could be ageism or it could be that the industry is not that old. It could be that for a long time it was a very grueling work environment. Mm -hmm. So people left after a period of time and they Mm -hmm. didn't want to stick around. I'd absolutely agree that that. if
1: ageism at all exists in the game industry, it's that it is a lot lot like professional sports in that uh, the way the work is set up, it is too punishing to -hmm. do for 30, 40 years. And it, it is something that, that the industry you industry is
0: do, yeah. better at those yeah. things, it is very potential that mm-hmm. we'll see this. But
1: what I believe more is probably truer is that if you are not, and and let me preface this, I don't know any of the people who have necessarily said there is ageism in the games okay. industry because I'm a victim of it. I don't know any of those people personally. I've never worked with any of them, sure. et cetera. But to hear the media pick up on the story and say, it exists, it exists, mm-hmm. you know, um, I have met plenty of people who are burned out, who burned out of the industry or uh, were managed out of the industry. Mm-hmm. If you have worked on dozens of titles and have met hundreds, in that time, hundreds of peers, mm-hmm. you must have a professional network so deep yeah. that if you needed to get a job within a couple of days, you'd have leads that you could be following Absolute.
0: up on. You know what? If, if you follow Twitter, right, mm-hmm. if you follow game devs on Twitter, anytime there's a layoff, anytime you just see everyone like, oh, contact me. Oh, mm-hmm. these, these people need help. Like every – it's like mm-hmm. a huge safety yeah. net, a network. And you see these – I mean I'm not saying that people haven't experienced real age. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, right? But they could also just be assholes. That's my point. I mean let's We are honest.
1: hearing three or four voices – You don't know their work history, you don't Mm -hmm. know them personally. So, for the media to pick a few stories out and say, This is obviously a correct sample size, yeah. It's like, no, you know, I've known too many people who, frankly, aren't making games right now because you can't work with them, yeah. You cannot, you know, or they chose not to keep up with their core market. Mm -hmm. You're making a product for an audience. If you choose, uh, oh, you know, that filmmaker, the guy who, um, he made Clerks and... Kevin Smith. Yeah, Kevin Smith. He had a great point once. He like, the reason why I started to fail as a filmmaker is because I had gotten too far away from the source. Mm-hmm. I was still trying to make films for the audience that I was feeding when I was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. But I'm not anymore. I'm a dad with kids. Those are the things that I am in touch with. Yeah. And so when I tried to make he this... did good because plot- look
0: at every Adam Sandler yeah. movie since. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like
1: if, you're, if you are trying to make a product for a specific audience but you do do not stay genuinely in in touch Mm -hmm. with that audience then fewer and fewer content makers are going to have use for your Mm -hmm. point of view and so it's it is on the developers uh it's the developers responsibility to stay uh up to speed, on their own time, Mm -hmm. with the product that they're trying to make. Yeah,
0: if you're not willing to do that, it's really not the correct industry. If you're not working nights and weekends. So
1: I hate that. It's not that I hate ageism. I hate that the media has picked up on sensationalism. Yeah, sensationalized Mm -hmm. stories of that ilk when these, I'm sure these journalists have very limited working experience in the industry uh, and have a limited sample set of points of view on whether or not this thing actually happens. It's one thing to say this person was not hired for a job. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to say that person was not hired for this job because of this reason, because that person said so. Yeah. yeah oh, that is not journalism. And that's what you see a lot of, a
0: Journey. lot of this
1: stuff. Oh, on Kotaku, you know, Polygon.com, yeah, I'm, I'm just all this
0: bullshit out jump there. Jump right on the train with you there. You're right. That is one of the things from the industry where you're just like, what is this crap? Like yeah. you can say something neutral and one source will just be like, this is the most amazing thing ever. And the other person is like, see, it means the world mm-hmm. is coming mm-hmm. or the world – the end of the world is coming. To me, the media is like that kid on the trampoline that just screws everyone else up by either doing the whole – double jump or you end up flying <laughs> way up in the air yeah, yeah. or or grounding you so yeah. when you hit the trampoline you don't bounce it feels like you're hitting concrete yeah. and you just crumble like that kid that's media yeah. right they pick yeah. one thing and they boost it way right. out of proportion and they just sort of bury everything else so so just by saying hey we're gonna skyrocket these things and we're gonna mute Every mm-hmm. other channel, so you have no choice but to pay attention <laughs> right. to these yeah. three stories mm-hmm. um, and we're just going to blast it on every right. channel. Um, yeah, the media kind of sucks. But you know, we can take solace in the fact that the media sucks in every facet of every industry. So it's not just ours. I mean, look at the media as far as you know, politically, sport, mm-hmm. every media – or every media mm-hmm. sucks. Pretty much mm-hmm. every journalist at some point, right. kind of sells their soul. Right. And I'm sure there are great journalists. I'm not saying all journalists are terrible people, but there are a lot that ruin it Yeah, forever. I think. Yeah,
1: I think, I guess what my complaint is, the signal-to-noise ratio. Because mm-hmm. there are, I, I still go to these websites. Why? Because there are genuinely good editorial mm-hmm. content or other types of content. Um, but those are just used said,
0: to p- promote clickbait. Yeah, just. <laughs> but there's just so
1: much clickbait to wait through. And yes, you're mm-hmm. right. You know what? I go to CNN.com and the last half of that front page is nothing but promoted clickbait stories yeah they're not even made by cnn like so it's like holy cow i don't get like what what happened to the old maybe i'm getting older it's like the old internet was you went to this website and you're only getting content from these sources from within the website you know and i I feel like that doesn't website it's just like
0: these two guys discovered how to make a multi-million dollar indie game scientists hate them but like click here to learn this one weird trick <laughs> yeah. to make an immediate yeah. like, like oh, break man. it. Like, yeah, it's it's terrible. Yeah. And, but yeah. So I, guess I the wish there was
1: another. Yeah, I wish there was another revenue way for journalists to. And maybe really, it's us as consumers are at fault. And if we is, subscribe to news sources like we used to subscribe to newspapers, they wouldn't have to say like
0: crap. How do we but they serve still our? Still would, customers? and that's kind of the. They would just maybe double up and hedge their Maybe bets. they would. Maybe they. Yeah, it's would. it's hard to but say. Yeah. But you know, it's the evolution. Every Every, what do I want to say, fan mm-hmm. looks at journalism and they know this problem. Everyone knows this is a problem. And they say, you know what? I'm going to build a real unbiased, great journalists site. And they do. And then they get buried in debt because they don't have yeah. the clickbait yeah. to bring yeah. – every- so they either sell out or they go under because mm-hmm. it's just the environment that's set up. Yeah. And there are – I know some journalists who I really like their stuff, mm-hmm. right? And I enjoy reading their stuff and I think it's really thoughtful stuff. But unlike most situations where you can say, hey, it's a few people ruining it for everyone, with the media it feels like it's kind of most of everyone ruining it for the few mm-hmm. good people really yeah. trying out there. But, but it is what it is, right? It's, I guess it's a market.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I think the, the, where the future that comes in for us is the premium cable and I've spoken about this before mm-hmm. at at, yeah. at um, lectures and whatnot, where like I go to Netflix or I go to HBO mm-hmm. and HBO even promotes their own you know video documentaries about the making of or the coming ups of their mm-hmm. of the content channels that they want to do. you look at Activision properties, they do this you know especially through yeah. Blizzard, you know you can open up their dedicated app and you'll get content. Designed by them to mm-hmm. promote their games. Um, they aren't designed as clickbait, though. You know, you know, they're
0: specifically tailored. They're the tailored
1: to my mm-hmm. gaming interests, and I, I believe in the long term, mm-hmm. more and more publishers move to that model. It's like we can control the message, yeah. we can control the quality of the content. We don't have to by um, keeping it in house. Yeah, and yeah. we're not. And this middleman, the Gawker Media segment of the industry, just disappears over time,
0: yeah.
1: um, and can't come soon soon enough, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, you know what else annoys you?
0: Yeah, I was about to say we are running out of time, but uh, yeah. so one of the things that kind of annoys me, um, it's it's so hard. There are, there are quite a few things. I guess one of the the blind. Uh, I guess, fanboyism. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to think of a more gender neutral term, but I guess, fanboyism, fangirlism as well it, that I can. So, you know, you have these people that... Fanaticism. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Zealotry. Mm-hmm. They'll hype a product and hype a product. And that's cool. And the, the fun builds you mm-hmm. get excited. And then it's almost like the exact same people then ruin the experience because if it's not exactly as they wanted, all they do is start tearing it down, mm-hmm. which then just sort of like kicks your legs out from Mm -hmm. underneath you. Like, man, I was riding high. I just want to enjoy this. Like, every product has flaws. Every product Mm -hmm. has flaws. And, you know, just as you know, no product comes out the way you thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Right? Everything has flaws. There are always, um, what do I say, uh, shortcomings. There's always compromise, you know. Um, And so just this sort of rabid, extreme in both both ways you know um just kind of like it's exhausting almost Mm -hmm. it's just like can't we just enjoy something can't i enjoy an experience or read about something or talk with someone about something without either being the greatest thing ever or the Uh worst thing ever can we just like say it's bipolar and it's uncomfortable yeah Yeah, can i just be like hey this is this is pretty cool like you know i i put out videos and stuff like that and and as much as i as much as I like when people say, hey, this is the greatest thing I've ever read or ever watched. Okay, cool. That feels good. Sure, but it's probably not true. Uh, but then you get someone who's like, you put an extra space in there. Go set yourself on fire. And you're like, that's not cool. Like, that's, that's not great. Like, can't we all just kind of chill out? I don't know. And I guess, I mean, it really does allude to the passion of the industry and how much people really like it. Uh, but at the same time, humanity is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like let's, let's chill a bit can we just yeah. relax <laughs> take a percocet chill out <laughs> i don't know um at least that's that's my opinion i mean i i've been known to ride the hype train i've mm-hmm. been known to, to insult people and, <laughs> and then be proven completely wrong i bought an HD DVD player i was <laughs> certain that that was going to be successful and, uh, so yeah i mean i know how it goes but at the same time it's like
1: it's yeah. been a long time since i've been a fanboy or fanatic about something. I loved the Commodore Amiga. And I think that was the last piece of technology that I allowed myself to evangelize, to Uh really, really want to see succeed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, that's when I learned you can't fight the tide. Uh, There's only so much you can do. And, you know, and like you're saying, the PC ecosystem at the time was so weak Mm -hmm. media-wise compared to, say, what, you know, this Commodore Amiga could do, even though it was getting long in the tooth even by the time I had discovered it. Um, but the real solution is to say, okay, this isn't going to win. Um, and this other system is, you know, or IP or whatever has flaws, but how could it become better? How can we contribute and make it grow? And, and you know, and over time, mm-hmm. you know, what you can do on a PC routinely today far exceeds anything we could have imagined doing, um, and an Amiga, you know, so, um, And the same thing was like workstations versus PCs. Do people even know what a workstation is? It's a type of PC. No, a workstation used to be like a $20,000 Unix box that came from Silicon Graphics. Um, And that's what you would – I mean the the Nintendo 64 was based off of that. Like That was its big claim to fame. It's like, wow, it's got Silicon Graphics technology Mm -hmm. in it. Um, And now we think, what? What are you talking about? It's like – PC versus mobile, right? Like, No, right, right, it's completely different. Yeah. yeah, like, so to be, it's sort of like a tattoo. Why be a fanboy of something? It's like, why would you have to have to get this tattoo? In 15 years, you're going to look back at this and be like, why? It. Yeah, why? <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Just that. I, I'm with you on the, we could die, we could be a little bit more detached from the things mm-hmm. that we love, knowing that our interest in this intellectual property um, is not, a reflection on me, and so therefore I'm not like insulted mm-hmm. when it doesn't live up to my expectations. Right, but there is a problem in that it goes back to the the mango tree theory that mm-hmm. we talked about, where um, when a game can fit and fill an unmet need, sometimes it fills too much of a need. It does it too well? Yeah, or yeah. does it too well? You know, I know how many games, you know, either spoken or not spoken, their mon- their 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 motive was to become a fun part of a healthy lifestyle, sort of like breakfast cereal is part of a
0: mm-hmm. healthy
1: breakfast. But instead, it Bumbles. becomes the lifestyle and yeah. everything in your life revolves around it and it becomes, you know, obsessive or yeah. you find meaning in it. A lot of it, you know, a goes... A whole topic on that, yeah. Yeah, like creating hooks in games so that the users can create content that makes that elevates them and gives them a presence in the world Mm -hmm. or in the in the real world as an expert in the game Mm. holy cow like that becomes fulfilling it's wish fulfillment
0: you know i'm actually quite famous in ultima yeah it is like okay yeah yeah. i mean that's cool but yeah
1: Um, so i think that's where it's like and then it bleeds into the danger zone of like it it's become my identity, and so for it to become insulted, or for mm-hmm. it to not live up to my expectations, for it to be reproachable is dangerous yeah. for me. Because now, I now not only can I be personally um, invested so much of me the, into this this yeah. huge project that have nothing to do is built by hundreds of people. I have a thousand ways it could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Reflects on me, and now I feel like ugh. Mm-hmm. And so it's like oh boy don't get yourself in that position like yeah. yeah if we could warn you off don't get in that position
0: and i mean again it all comes back to just common human behavior if i give you a piece of pizza and say this is the best pizza i've ever had yeah. you're just like that's all right, I'm yeah, right. Yeah. oh <laughs> shit like i put myself out there <laughs> right. and, oh man yeah. i look like a real idiot yeah. right now yeah. and that's pretty okay. common but yeah i mean th- just some of the stuff that's kind of like yeah, uh, the, the uh, online emotionality the multiplayer yeah. and there's there's a lot there's a lot to be said and there's I mean, there are a lot of real problems in the industry. I do believe there is quite a bit of sexism in the industry, and that's really unfortunate. Yeah, um,
1: uh, especially of the um, – I've not witnessed a lot of outright direct um, sexism, but I'm sure uh, there's been a lot of that, that just unspoken – The oh, I didn't even know. Yeah, that I was like doing
0: microaggression it, stuff. You know, you, or, I go to or just the condescension. I think yeah, that's probably more number one.
1: Is, is is like, oh, you surprised me in your performance, you know, because you are female or whatever it's like it's amazing how
0: much you'll even you'll witness just as a third party at like conferences and things like that but i found myself doing that just completely like feeling like an Mm -hmm. idiot where i'll be talking to a guy and then he'll be there with some female Mm -hmm. like oh is this your wife or whatever no she's a professional like why would i just assume that she wasn't a part and then i'm just like oh my god i'm sorry like i i I didn't even didn't even like uh, come to mind when i was saying it until afterwards i realized i was a giant jerk right
1: Right. and and, and that's right. You were the giant jerk, right? Yeah. And I was the condescending person or someone I witnessed could have mm-hmm. been the condescending person. It's a problem of individuals. I don't know that it's systemic because in my last major gig, which was at Electronic Arts, mm-hmm. the most you know terrible, terrible, terrible developer, um, actually, my boss, a woman, uh, my Immediate peers, though, like all the other dev directors that I worked with, um, um, you know, was 50-50, male female.
0: Uh, my, yeah, my technical think, art
1: team, hundred yeah. percent female. My art team, especially in China, was like thirty to forty percent female. So
0: there's a lot that can know. be said about that. But you're also on the art side. You do right. see this grand. That's true. Division there were few. There were few. There were fewer engineers
1: uh, that uh, are female, but. Hey, we're starting somewhere, and like CIA, the school where you, yeah. know, you and I both have taught or am teaching, um, you know, in one case the the class was ninety percent female, in other cases it's sure. forty to sixty percent female. Oh, yeah. so I it's think it's just better. a matter of time. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think systemically, the system wants to be balanced because it's good for business. Yeah. If you can, if you can, like again, it's like Kevin Smith saying, "I'm too far away from the mm. source material." If you want a bigger audience. Or to create a wider uh, breadth of content, yeah. you need people who are closer to those experiences, you know, and
0: Absolutely. And
1: and a female perspective. Not they necessarily have a different perspective, but mm-hmm. they, there is a good chance they might have a different perspective that brings more chances As of always, success.
0: It's one of those things that's great on paper and then humanity yeah. screws it up. Yeah. Have so yeah. The problem, right. But, so the sexism
1: but... in the industry that I've seen has not been the that the company or the industry has been set up that way but that we as individuals yeah maybe because i and i joined the industry in the 90s when it was you know the art team might have been 90 percent male and so you get comfortable in a locker room mentality and that has to be worked out because you might say things to de-stress or take down the tension level and it turns out you just said something that would have made you know someone blush yeah for religious reasons for a lot or of you know, reasons, sexual orientation yeah. or, you know, gender, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, just we, we have to grow up. It's really and a so, whole Yeah, it's a whole bunch of stuff, right, well, right? it's a whole yeah. topic we could right. probably
0: talk a right. great length right. on. It's just
1: that, yeah, females as a quote-unquote minority are actually, population-wise, the majority of our population. So they're a really big one that we should address. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or could address. It's really
0: obvious. Yeah. Well, at this um, point, we're kind of running out of time. Okay. It feels like we've sort of ended on a down note. So... Well, no,
1: I don't. I don't know. I think it was an up note because it puts the responsibility for fixing a particular problem on individuals. Yeah, it's not like jerks. it's not like it's not like it's bigger than you as an individual to fix this particular problem. Yeah,
0: um, be the change he, you want to see in the world. Yeah, I guess Michael so. Michael Jackson's looking at the man in the mirror, <laughs> asking him how he could change. I mean, his it's ways.
1: A, it sounds uh, was it trite to say it that way, but it is that simple. Oh, absolutely, like, it's to and and like you were saying, emotional intelligence is like applying, like, hey. Do I think about this person differently based on gender or my mm-hmm. feelings towards that person based – you know, like yeah. – and is that fair and can I catch myself? And with those I think schedules? a large
0: part of it is, is also recognizing that these natural inclinations we have are based in thousands of years of evolution yeah. and instinct that's kept us alive as a species and so – it's okay to maybe have these natural uncontrollable reactions, but maybe you then need to work to right, evolve. Right. It's okay so,
1: to feel anger, but it's not okay to act out. Yeah, it's, yeah.
0: O- it's okay to recognize mm-hmm. this impulse in yourself, analyze it and say, okay, that's interesting. I realize where it's coming from and mm-hmm. then let it go and then don't let that actually affect right. you and how you interact with people and stuff like that. But again, whole topic that yeah. could be said about that. Right. But um, Yeah, all right.
1: So I think to just... Bookend this. The conversation started with Adam's questions, and and um, and really, what we're saying, it's not about the control scheme necessarily, or the way you present the oh, world, way back. But it's about the player, mm-hmm. and then at the very end, you know, with this last question a about the problems that we we see, in, um, you know, a lot of the problems we have are actually we create ourselves as So, so as what you're who saying create.
0: is we've started with and ended with it's all about you, <laughs> and really. Since this is our audience appreciation <laughs> episode, it is all about uh, you. Yeah. You know what? For everyone listening, we planned this. We <laughs> yes, planned absolutely this we for did. it to happen this yeah. way, and for all, pretty much all for answers to kind of be the exact same thing. Um, all right. <laughs> at that rate we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up um as always feel free to uh send any comments questions whatever certainly appreciate them they certainly help guide the conversation um yeah if you think we
1: said something asinine you know or stupid, get over yeah. it no yeah get over it no like, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, right yeah, you know just you know actually i don't think you you have this perspective i you know we could only benefit from hearing yeah the the counter what is argument. it
0: the uh, wedding singer adam saying there i have the microphone so you will do everything that I How do you I know say. so much about, like, Adam Sandler? And, and, uh, <laughs> how, do I, how do you not know? So- anyway, because I'm secretly Adam Sandler. Um, <laughs> all right. We have to rename um, this podcast. So, yeah. Uh, so thank you all for listening uh, to Mike's Video Game Podcast, Episode 8, the Listener Appreciation Annual Episode. Uh, I am Mike Geig.
1: And I'm Mike Wu.
0: And have a fantastic weekend. It's Monday. <laughs> Eight
1: is great. <laughs>